Good morning again. Uh, I have a confession to make before I start the message. And that is, I'm in love with the piano player. That's my wife. Uh, she's my bride and, uh, you know, uh, I don't say it enough, but, uh, you know, she's my better half, my love. And uh, without her, I simply cannot exist. Apart from Christ, of course. That's a given fact. But, uh, yes, um, let's pray and then uh, we'll get into the uh, message this morning. Father, we thank you and we praise you. We love you, Lord. Again, all of us can say that over and over again because of who you are. We thank you. And now, may the, may the meditation of my heart and the words that are spoken through your servant may be pleasing to you. In the holy name of Christ, we pray. Amen. I want to uh, be very careful how I start this message because I don't want to sound pessimistic or, or like a negative person. But when I look around the world today, nothing is guaranteed. Nothing is certain. Is that right? For example, if you're a high school student, you worked hard, you studied hard for four years to get into your, try to get into your dream college. But that college may not accept you. If you're working, you worked hard over the years for your company, and you put in countless hours, but the raise or the promotion that you rightfully deserve may not come. If you're a business owner, and you worked hard and you, you put everything into your business, you sacrifice so much for it, but your business may not last. If you're a parent, there's no guarantee how your child is going to turn out. There's going to be some prodigal sons and prodigal daughters. Isn't that right? And one day, our health will fail us too. The fact of the matter is, nothing in this world is guaranteed. Nothing in this life is certain. By now, you know why I said I wanted to be very careful how I start this message. But one thing, there is good news. Because there's one thing that, is, that we can be certain about. And, one, and that it is the most important fact that we may come to know. And that is, we are chosen by God. That will never change. The question naturally arises then, how can we be certain that we are chosen by God? That's the, answer, that's the question that we're going to answer this morning. And furthermore, as God's chosen people, how are we ought to live? Our text this morning comes from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse, verses 4 through 10. And Peter will help us answer those questions. We all know Peter was one of Jesus' close disciples. And he is the one who wrote this letter to both Jewish and Gentile Christians. In verse 4, he begins a new section of his letter where he uses Old Testament imagery to show that New Testament believers such as you and I 
are the new people of God. Amen? As a matter of fact, we have come to possess all the blessings of the Old Testament that was once only belonged to the nation of Israel. So, as we look into our text this morning, we will draw out two biblical principles that we must implement in our lives. Are you ready? First point, or first principle that we must implement in our lives is that we must draw near to God. You see behind me is that in verse 4, Peter begins by saying, as you come to him. Now the Greek word come is pros or komai. Literally means to draw near. So what Peter is saying is to draw near to God. Now, this was a powerful statement by Peter in the earlier church. It was unheard of for, at that time to draw near to God, for anyone to draw near to God, except for the priests. That was only for the priests. Because in the Old Testament and the Old Covenant, only the priests draw near to God to hear him speak, to offer up uh, sacrifices to the tabernacle. That was only up to the priest. But in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, the author says, Jesus opened the new and a living way for believers to draw near to God. Notice in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 22, if you see it behind me, is this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, meaning God's presence, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have the great, a great priest, meaning Jesus, over the house of God, meaning the church of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart. The author is saying is that we have every confidence. Why? Because Jesus created a new and a living way for us to draw near to God. You and I can draw near to God anytime, any place. It's not only on Sundays. I know that some people, though, they only draw near to God on Sundays, right? But we're not called to draw near to God on Sundays. We're called, we're encouraged to, to draw near to God every day of our lives. Any time, any place, there's no limit. There's no limit. God is waiting for us and is available for us to draw near to him. And now Peter adds here, all the believers, like you and myself, we have the right and the privilege to enjoy that was only for the priests. So Peter is encouraging and inviting us to draw near to God. And he is waiting for us. When I was in seminary, one of the professors that I highly respected was D.A. Carson. Perhaps Elder Doug and Pastor Mark know him. He's a New Testament scholar. He's respected throughout the world. And uh, one of the classes that he was offering up was uh, uh, his specialty, his main focus, the New Testament, specifically the Gospel of John. And now this class was not required for my MDiv, so I don't need to take it. But if 
D.A. Carson teaches a class on his specialty, the book of John's. You better take it. So I signed up, and you know what time the class was? 7.45 a.m. in the morning. You know, that's, that's hard for a seminary student, you know, because you're up all night hopefully studying and praying, you know, and reading the Bible. But many students, including myself, we went there early so that we could sit in the front. We just want to soak in what he has to say. So one day I was, take, one day I was taking notes, and uh, this came into my mind. And I thought to myself, it would be pretty cool if Dr. Carson invites me over to his house over for coffee and talk about theology. And I could ask him all the questions that I had. After that would be pretty cool. That would be pretty awesome to do so. But you know what? It never happened. <laughs> Even though I tried to boil her up to me, it never happened. But you know what? It would be more awesome than that. Peter reminds us that God, God, the almighty God, invites us to draw near to him, to be in his presence. You see, I could go to God every day over coffee, but now you know I love coffee. Over coffee, open up my Bibles, talk to him, ask him questions. You know, again, Pastor Mark mentioned that, Abba, Father, Daddy. Hey, hey, Dad, what do you think about this, uh, this Matthew chapter 22? Can you teach me? Can you show me what you mean by this? Spending time with him, developing that intimate, loving relationship that he desires of us. Now, to me, that would be pretty cool. Amen? And if that's not the case, Peter gives us the reason why we should draw near to God. Precisely because Christ is the living stone. Notice with me in verse 4, he said, the living stone, meaning Jesus right here, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him. You see, Peter is using the Old Testament imagery of the stones that used to build the temples. He's referring to Psalms chapter 118, verse 22. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The cornerstone is the foundation of the building, right? The cornerstone is the most important stone of the building. So what Peter is saying, please listen carefully. Christ, who has been rejected by humans, has become the living stone that is far superior than the Old Testament temple made out of dead stones. Amen? Yes, Christ has been rejected by humans. But God chose him and is precious to him. Perhaps some of you have been rejected in the past. You didn't get into the college that you applied for. You didn't get the job or the promotion at work. The girl or the boy that you liked rejected you. For me, I remember uh, after graduating seminary, I got my first full-time pastoral position. And at that time, I, I needed a new car. So I went into a local car dealer and picked out a car that I wanted. After much negotiation with 
the salesperson, you know what that like, that's like, right? We finally agreed on the price. By the way, I like that challenge. I like debating with the salesperson. That's just my DNA. But anyway, that's besides the point. We finally decided on a purchase price. So the next step was to go into the fin- uh, finance office, sign the papers and the contracts or whatever it may be. So I was in there. I, sub- I gave them my uh, information. And the accountant looked at me and said, oh, sorry, you have been rejected by the bank due to lack of credit. Now, it doesn't feel good to be rejected. And quite frankly, it was a little bit embarrassing. To cut the long story short, I had to bring in my father in to co-sign. And I was able to purchase the car that way. All of us, one time or another, have experienced some type of rejection. But the good news is that we're in good company. Why? Christ was rejected too. But God chose him to be the most precious stone. And now God chooses us to be his own, and we are precious to him as well. The good news does not stop here. Like Christ... Like Christ, we are the living stones. Amen? Notice in verse 2, Peter says, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. Peter is saying, as you draw near to God and come together as a church like this, you are drawing near to God. And what God is doing as you are coming together like this, God is building his church to be alive We are no longer dead to our sins, amen, but alive in Christ. God is helping us to thrive, to grow, to flourish both spiritually and physically to be the church that he has caused us to be. But the question is, how does God do it? How does God build his spiritual house? You see, God personally lays down each living stones. That's you and me to build his spiritual house. Let me illustrate what I'm talking about. You see this brick right here. Imagine, if you will, this brick represents you, the living stone. Okay? And what God does is that he lays down each Personally, he lays down each living stones one at a time to build his spiritual house. So he lays down Sarah. He lays down Denise. He lays down Charles. He lays down Bob. This is how God does it. You see, God is the master builder who is building his house. Amen? The Greek word house is oikos. Now, oikos, I don't mean the, the yogurt that you see in the advertisement. Okay? But oikos is referred to God's house or the Jerusalem temple. Now, Peter is saying and telling us that we are the house of God. We are the church. We are the living stones that is being built up into a spiritual house. We are the oikos, you see. As you look around this wonderful, beautiful church building, as great as it is, 
is as solid as it is, this building, is church building, is made out of dead materials. We are the living stones. Amen? We are the oikos. Loved ones, God desires Uptown Baptist Church to be full of people that is alive in Christ, that is passionate for him, that is fired up for him, that loves him and loves one another. Amen? Therefore, as, as his house, we have responsibility. Amen? Peter lays out two great responsibility that you and I have as oikos. Notice in verse 5, the first responsibility is what? To be a holy priesthood. We are to be holy priesthood. What does this mean? As priests, we have direct access to God, and our primary role is to bring others to God. Do you hear that? To connect people to God. God is building the church for us to be a holy priesthood. That means it's not only for pastors or elders to be holy priesthood in the church. It means that every one of you in the church are holy priesthood. Amen? That everyone is involved. Everyone is connected to God. Everyone is connected to one another. Everyone here is a holy priesthood. I believe in the priesthood of all believers. And that's what Peter is teaching us here today. The Latin word for priest is pontifex. Literally means a bridge builder. You see, as a holy priesthood, our responsibility is to build a bridge so that others can draw near to God. You see, let me say, the purpose of the bridge is what? To connect one side to the other so that people can cross over safely, right? So our job as priests, we are to build a bridge so that people can cross over and draw near to God. Behind me, you'll see a picture of a, a San Francisco Golden Gate Bridge. Uh, there's no bridge up there, huh? There it is. My sister who lives in San Francisco takes this bridge every morning to get to work. Now, without this bridge, she cannot cross over. So that's the purpose of the bridge. People can cross over, right? And for, so that means for us, my dear brothers and sisters, as brothers and sisters, as a holy priesthood, we are called to build a bridge for others to cross over to draw near to God. As I said earlier, we are the bridge builder. Please repeat after me. We are the bridge builder. Let's say that again. We are the bridge builder. I'm going to hold you accountable for that. Second responsibility, Peter said, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Peter is saying as priests, we need to continually offer up spiritual sacrifices that is acceptable 
to God. And the question is, what are those spiritual sacrifices that we need to lift up that is acceptable, that is pleasing to God? What are they? Let me just, I just want to give you four. You see it behind me. The first one is this. Offering up bodies to God for his service. I want to encourage you to look around. Who's serving the church? You see men and women faithfully serving the church, whether it may be during the week or doing on Sunday worship service like today. These are faithful men and women. But the problem is many churches today, we have the same people serving over and over and over and over again. While others, they just watch and point. That's not how it goes. Right? Have you been there? And, but I know Uptown Baptist Church, we're not like that. That everyone is involved, everyone is doing their part for the body of Christ. Amen? Second, giving of gifts to enable the spread of the gospel. You see, your gifts, as Elder Doug talked about, your gifts allow Uptown Baptist Church to function daily. Your gifts allow to, to, to spread the gospel as a church. Paul wrote this about the church of Philippi. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. And you don't have, I don't have it at the slide behind me. But I want to read it from you from this text. Church writes to, excuse me, Paul writes to the church of Philippi in this way. Chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Ephroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering and acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. I want to add verse 20, and I love this part. To our God and the Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, I know I'm going to put my daughter in a spot, but she gave me a good illustration to use. Uh, her good friend right now is in mission field. Uh, well, he's on a mission trip. And a few months before or prior to this trip, she sent out a, a support letter that she needs to raise X amount of dollars. And just last month, I believe, uh, Rachel, she donated $100 to the mission. And a uh, few days later, she went to grandma's house, and grandma gave her what? $100 for Christmas. You see? That's what God does. When we are good stewards, when we are faithful to what God has given us, and when we bless others as he has blessed us, and we don't hold on to it ourselves, it's like a revolving door. You give, it comes back. It gives and it comes back. And God often replenishes or multiplies that. Amen? That's who our God is. And that's why Paul says, and my God will meet all your needs 
according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. Amen? And that's why you and I can echo, because we have experienced that. And we can testify that. And that's why we can say to our God and, our, and the Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm not done yet. Third is uh, singing praises unto his name. And Brother Mike led us, led us time of praise this morning. Those are some those are, as we sing and lift up praise, it's, it's a spiritual sacrifice offering up to God that is, that is acceptable and pleasing to him. Fourth, doing good and sharing our possessions with people who are in need. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, Peter, Paul said, For we are God's handiwork or workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works which God prepared in advance for us to do so. You see, brothers and sisters, God prepared in advance before you were even born, while you were in your mother's womb, developing, that he prepared in advance for you and for me to do good works. That's how important it is to God that we do good works. And this is what is acceptable and pleasing to God. To support what Peter just said in verse 4 and 5, in verse 6, he quotes from the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. See, I, meaning God, lay a stone that is in Christ. In Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one, you and me, who trust in him, meaning Jesus, will never be put to shame. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus as our cornerstone, the most valuable, the chosen, and the precious stone, we will never be put to shame because God has our back. Amen? So we can draw near to God. Second principle we must uh, implement, we must accept our destiny as God's chosen people. In verse 7, people, uh, excuse me, in verse 7, P Peter said, Now to you who believe, this stone, meaning Christ, is precious. To the, but to those who do not believe, they will reject him. Again, Peter makes a reference from the Old Testament, Psalm 118, verse 22. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. We all know people have rejected Christ because they don't believe him. If people don't believe him, they will stumble and fall. Notice in verse 8, Peter said, or Peter quotes from the Old Testament again, from Isaiah chapter 8, verse 14. You'll see it behind me. A stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. For us, as believers, God is our rock. He's our solid rock. He's our refuge. In 2 Samuel chapter 22, Samuel referred God as the rock. 
his rock and his savior. You see, for us, the God, the God, the rock, is our stability in our life. We're solid. No matter what the storms of life will come after us, no matter uncertainties or difficulties that, or the trials that we may face, because we hold and we are, we hold and, and, and the solid rock of God and that he is our refuge, that nothing will shake us because we are stable in God. Amen? But to those who do not believe, the rock is a downfall. They stumble. Why? Because they dis disobey the message. That is the gospel. Which is also what they were destined for. That's what verse 8 tells us. The gospel becomes a stumbling block to anyone who does not believe. People often get offended. People get offended because Jesus says, I am the only way to the Father. He is the only way, the way. You know, in the, Old Test in the New Testament, they didn't use Christianity, how they refer to as, you know, as Christianity. I'm a Christian. No, what in the, in the Old New Testament, they would say, we know the way. That is the Christ. The only way. The narrow way. But living in a postmodern culture, this does not fly very well. That when we say Jesus is the way, the only way to the Father, there is no other way. That's why some of these people like, uh, who are uh, 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 following postmodern you know, uh, theory or culture, they call us fundamentalists and narrow-minded people because they don't like what they're hearing. They don't like the gospel. Please listen carefully. We believe because we are chosen by God. How do we know that we're chosen? That's the question. How do we know that we're chosen? Here it is. It's simple. Because we believe. Do you want to know that you're chosen? You believe in Jesus Christ is the only way, the way. You believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior, the Lord, and God. You're chosen. Because without God choosing you, you would not be able to say, Jesus is my Savior, Jesus is my Lord, Jesus is my King, without Him choosing you to be. Notice in verse 9, but you are a chosen people. The word chosen implies that we share in the blessings of God. Remember, in the Old Testament, it was only for the nation of Israel. But now in Christ, we have the privilege as the chosen. God chooses a new people, believers like you and me, not by physical descent of Abraham, but by believing in Jesus Christ. Because Peter says, because you are chosen, in verse 9, he says, you are a royal priesthood. Here's that priesthood word again. He says, you are a holy nation. Now, these two statements is from Exodus chapter 19, verse 6, when God spoke to Moses regarding the nation of Israel. 
But now, again, let me remind you, Peter says you are a new spiritual priesthood, and together you are a new spiritual nation, and this has nothing to do with your ethnic identity, but it has everything to do with the identity that you are deeply committed to the kingdom of God. Kingdom cannot exist without a king, amen? And we know who is the king. Jesus is the king. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. Jesus is the king. And as we have deep commitment and as we put our faith and trust in Christ, that's where our identity lies and that's where our hope lies. It is not about our ethnicity. It's not about that we're uh, uh, from Abraham descent or anything like that, as the, the Israelites were saying. But it's all about deeply committed to King Jesus. Amen? For that reason, Peter said, we are God's special possession. We are God's special possession. Now let me press the pause button here and flush this out a little bit. The origin of the word possession in Greek means I acquire, earn, Purchase, make my own, preserve alive. Now, all of us have acquired something in the past. It could be shoes, it could be clothes, it could be glasses, it could be car or house, and the list goes on and on. But God, please listen carefully, but God, in his great love, acquired us and made us his own. Amen? Through the blood of Jesus. God did not acquire us for free. Matter of fact, we are very expensive because it costs his son's life. Amen? Do you want to know how much you're worth to God? Do you want to know how much God values you? Do you want to know how much God the Father loves you? Look at the cross of Christ. It is at the cross that Jesus died for you. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Don't let the world tell you that you are worthless. Because brothers and sisters, you are uh, you are special to God, precious to Him. You are His special possession. We are worth everything to God. God forgave and redeemed us for His sake. Why, Peter says in verse 9, that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You see, God chose us to praise and praise him and declare all of his glory. God did not save us so that we stay silent about the work that he's doing in our lives. God did not call us out of darkness so that we just stand still and watch others do the work and declare his praises. No. 
Absolutely not. God's purpose in redeeming us is not only to save us from our sins, but to glorify him in all that we do. Amen? Loved ones, we must go out and declare the praise of him who saved us from darkness. Do you believe that you're chosen? Then you must declare the praises of his name. Peter reminds us where we used to stand before God as he concludes in verse 10. He said, once you were not a people. We know that we were once not his people, right? But now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter borrows the words from the Old Testament in Hosea chapter 1. Verse 6, to show the church the great benefits. Like Israel, they experienced rejection from God once or one time. We too were not God's people, as Peter reminds us, and did not receive God's mercy. We were all under condemnation of sin. But now we have the highest privilege in the world. Now we are God's people. Not by any works. We did not earn it. We don't deserve it. That's why it's called mercy. In closing, Peter says that God has given the church new people of God. All the blessings and the more that was once only promised to the Old Testament to the nation of Israel. We are the dwelling place of God. It is no longer the Jerusalem temple, for we Christians are the new temple of God. We are the oikos. Amen? Uptown Baptist Church is the new temple of God. For we are God's chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. And now able to receive God's mercy. What more could be said that we, the church, has now become the true, holy nation of God. Hallelujah. Amen. Now we know what's ahead of us. We don't know what's ahead of us. And the future looks uncertain. Isn't that right? But I want to encourage you by this quote from this one pastor. He said, faith is not knowing what the future holds. But faith is knowing who holds the future. Loved ones, God holds the future of your life and mine. For we are God's chosen people. We are the living stones. Therefore, we have nothing to fear because we are God's precious, precious children. And we belong to him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that your servant spoke only your word. 
and not of his own. Father, I pray that the words will be in our hearts, in our minds, in our thoughts. We will not let the enemy to snatch it out of us, but we will put into practice what you have challenged us today. Thank you, thank you. In the holy name of Christ we pray, amen.